I want to encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 2. So we continue this little mini-series on the first nine chapters of Proverbs. The uh, introduction to the whole book consists of nine chapters, and I think we'll work our way through that and then uh, maybe take a little break to another short series, but keep coming back to Proverbs. This is something that we should continue to return to over the course of our whole lives. But here, we're given a picture of the importance and value of wisdom. Wisdom that according to the New Testament, finds its terminus, its focal point in the Lord Jesus Christ. Proverbs chapter 2. My son, if you receive my words, if you treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and you raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and you search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord, and you will find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of the saints. Then you will understand righteousness Justice and equity. Notice those three words. It has already occurred once in chapter 1, verse 3, and here it occurs again. You will understand these things, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. Those men who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you'll be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth, and she forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death, and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. And so you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will, will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Let us pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for your word and ask uh, that you would fill our hearts with wisdom even as we seek it. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Well, uh, when I was a kid, I grew up in a little uh, small town right outside of Jacksonville, Florida, a little town called Middleburg, uh, not too far from uh, uh, this big creek, a tributary, an offshoot of the St. John's River, uh, known as Black Creek. I'm sure the name probably makes you think of these small little uh, streams, but it certainly was something that felt larger than a creek. It was certainly more dangerous, uh, filled with alligators and snakes and all sorts of other um, reptiles and dinosaur-like things uh, that you would see in North Florida. Uh, But more dangerous, we would find, is that every year uh, there were recorded drownings that would take place in Black Creek. 
Uh, particularly after a hard rain when the creek would rise and it would flood and even ruin some homes along the banks. I remember a particular point when I was in elementary school, uh, I, I think the, the, the bank had overflown something like 10, 15 feet over uh, the banks. It can uh, produce these really nasty uh, floods after a storm surge. So I remember one of my uh, teachers uh, telling us this old folk tale, you know, as a, as a moral of the story, um, uh, and when put it like this, you've probably heard a, a form of it, but it was applied in specific ways uh, here for us growing up near Black Creek. The news report told of a massive storm coming, and so it would, uh, a storm so big that it would flood the banks of the creek. And so the cops came out and warned everyone living on the creek to find shelter every, uh, anywhere, everywhere, anywhere but near the banks of the creek. And of course, so many ended up fleeing, except for old man Jack. When the cops came to Old Man Jack's house, they said, Old Man Jack, it is time uh, to leave. The river will be rising soon, and you may drown. Old Man Jack says, well, I've prayed, and the Lord will deliver me. Well, the floods rise, and they get closer and closer to the house where Jack looks out the window, and there's his neighbors on a canoe, uh, kind of canoeing on by. They said, oh man, Jack, we've got an extra spot for you. The, the, the flood, the waters are rising still. Come, uh, hop on in. We'll get you out in time. And he goes, no, he says, I've prayed. The Lord will deliver me. Well, the flood waters keep rising and it keeps rising up through the house where Jack, old man Jack has to stand on top of the roof and a helicopter comes by and they shout down with the bullhorn, uh, you know, grab onto the rope, old man Jack. It is time uh, to go. Um, the floodwaters are rising, and this is the last chance you will have uh, for deliverance. Old man Jack says, well, I prayed, and the Lord will deliver me. Well, the helicopter flies off, the rivers rise, and old man Jack drowns. Old man Jack makes it to the gates of heaven, and he stands before an angel, quite relieved that he's in heaven, but also quite baffled. He turns to the angel, and he says, angel? Uh, he says, I, I prayed. Why, why didn't the Lord not deliver me? And the angel turns to him and says, well, we sent the cops, we sent the canoe, and we sent the helicopter. What more do you want? <laughs> you know, the Bible's full of all these great stories of redemption, right? these great grand moments of divine deliverance where God supernaturally intervenes to save his people. But one of the great value, uh, values and, and treasures that we see in the book of Proverbs are those ordinary ways in which God guards and protects his people. The Lord uses what we call secondary means. Uh, not here to deny that the Lord can miraculously deliver any of us from uh, an urgent situation. But what we find is the Lord has also established ordinary means. Uh, secondary means by which he saves us, right? You read through the, the Bible and, you know, the Exodus, how many times does it occur? You know, once, maybe twice. You know, if you read Luke chapter 9, Jesus refers as his movement towards the cross as the great Exodus. When we think of the Exodus from Egypt, it really only happens once in Israel's history. How else does the Lord continue to keep his church? Of course, again, the Bible speaks of all these supernatural ways, but Proverbs is quick to remind us God does not simply work uh, using the supernatural. 
He also uses these ordinary means. And one of the more common ways in which he keeps his church from harm is through wisdom. That is the point that we see here in chapter 2. That in keeping wisdom, God will keep you. Therefore, treasure wisdom that you may be kept. So there's three things I'd simply like us to consider this evening. It's rather a large chunk, but I think it's worth considering it as a whole because uh, the author of Proverbs, Solomon, will begin to expand on several of these sections as we continue through these opening chapters of Proverbs, as we'll see in coming weeks. So first we'll consider the matter of treasured wisdom. You'll see that in verses 1 to 11. Secondly, we'll consider the matter of being guarded by wisdom in verses 12 to 19. And then finally, we'll consider the two paths of verses 20 to 22. So treasured wisdom, guarded by wisdom, and the two paths. Once more, we're drawn into this conversation, kind of left eavesdropping on this conversation between the royal father speaking to the messianic heir. And here the father speaks to the heir of the throne, and he says, my son, let's go on a treasure hunt. That's what we see here in these opening verses. I remember as a kid looking for buried treasure using my grandfather's metal detector in the dirt. Uh, Did not find an awful lot uh, in western North Carolina, but it was still a lot of fun. Or when I went on vacation, me and my dad would would stop at these little, you know, uh, kitschy tourist traps in the side of the road in eastern Tennessee where you could go uh, panning for rubies. I don't know if you've ever done anything like that. A lot of fun. You get a lot, you, you buy a bag of dirt and then you pan it in water. You pay like 20 bucks and then you might find a couple shiny rocks. But it was great for me. as one of the things that me and my dad treasured doing together. I felt like you're on a treasure hunt, finding some long lost ruby or piece of gold. Your attention becomes fully fixed on the prospect of what it is that you're going to find. What will this bag of dirt unearth? Well, the father here speaks of a treasure hunt. And yet the treasure for which the father speaks is neither gold nor rubies, but it's something far more valuable. It's something whose value won't rise or fall with the uh, current inflation or the economy. Rather, what he's calling his son to pursue, to give his full attention to, is to the pursuit of wisdom. I think right away we should recognize that this is not simply the, you know, kind of the folksy, down-home kind of wisdom. This is not merely common sense, although there is going to be a lot of overlap between what we see as wisdom from on high and what we now regard as common sense. I think perhaps because we don't Uh, recognize the source of where all wisdom comes from. But the particular wisdom that Solomon has in mind, if you look at verse 6, is that wisdom which comes from the mouth of God. This is what we would call special revelation. It's a special kind of wisdom. And it's gained not through some sort of you know, do-it-yourself type project. It's not by accumulating a host of academic degrees or by going on a vision quest in the great Southwest. Rather, this is wisdom gained by sitting at your father's feet and hearing what it is that he has to say. Wisdom on high comes through the home 
as you're called to hear God's word, just like Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's the very thing that Jesus commends Mary for doing. So Solomon calls his son to listen. You see that here in verses 1 and 2, receive and hear what I have to tell you, but it's not simply a passive sort of listening. Uh, He takes it a step further in verses 3 and 4, and he calls for active pursuit. Don't simply receive and hear, but call out for it, pursue it as you would a hidden treasure. Don't be uh, uh, lukewarm or lackadaisical to this particular uh, pursuit. And as we've seen, we have to ask ourselves, what is the treasure? That treasure is wisdom, but it is a wisdom that comes from the mouth of God. It is wisdom that for us is found in God's word. And how is it that we treasure such wisdom? What is treasured by keeping it and hiding it in our heart? Think of what the psalmist says. I've hidden your word in my heart. Quite literally, I have treasured, I've stored up your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. When you begin to treasure God's Word and meditate on it, it begins to change you from the inside out. I think one practical application we can say here is that for parents, one of the best things that you can do with your kids is to memorize Scripture together, to discuss why it is good. Don't simply uh, memorize the Scriptures, but talk about why is this good? To what end is this directing you? This is why I love the shorter catechism. First question, what is man's chief end? What's his ultimate goal? It's to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. How is it that this particular portion of Scripture that you're memorizing, how does it keep you from harm? How does it lead you to the eternal good? Here we are called not simply to read or to memorize, but to treasure God's word, to store it up in our heart. Verse 5, for only in doing this will you truly learn what it means to fear the Lord. We could say that the converse also is true. If you do not treasure God's word, you will not know God or the fear of God. If you do not value God's word and you claim to know God, might I suggest that the God that you claim to know is not the God who is. He calls us to treasure His Word because it's by treasuring His Word we come to know Him. By treasuring and coming to know Him, we come to fear Him. To know God truly is to fear Him wholly. And you learn this by sitting at His feet and treasuring up those words that come from on high. That's what Solomon's getting at here in verse 6. And we see one of the benefits of this in verse 6 comes in verse 7, that God guards the one who treasures wisdom. He guards them. He is, verse 7, a shield to them. It is God who watches over the saints, quite literally the ones who keep covenant faithfulness, those who fear the Lord. Two things come from treasuring God's Word. You will come to know not just God, that's the first thing, but also, verse 9, then you will also know what true justice, righteousness, and equity really is. I think it's striking how many people today have uh, become obsessed with justice in the past maybe two or three years. 
So I don't think we could go a day on social media or in the news without hearing that word pop up over and over again, yet there is so little that is mentioned about God. Might I suggest to you that Solomon is telling us that you cannot know true justice apart from knowing the God who is justice itself. And so that those who speak of justice and fail to speak of God with reverence and awe are twisting a concept of justice to suit their own ends. Note the interplay here between God and wisdom in these verses. If you look at verses 7 and 8, it is God who watches over his saints who treasure him. But then there's a shift that takes place in verses 9 to 11. We're now, instead of saying that it is God who defends, God who watches over, God who keeps and protects, now, verse 9, it is wisdom that watches over you, that guards you, and protects you. I think uh, Solomon is making a very important theological statement here. Verse 8, God guards and watches. Verse 11, wisdom watches and guards. If we could put it like this, God guards through wisdom. That is how he protects us. It's one of the ways in how he protects us. When it speaks of God being our guardian, we should not think of God as a prison warden, but a delightful guardian, one who rejoices over you with singing, as the prophet Zephaniah says. That if you treasure wisdom, wisdom will treasure you. If you treasure God, God will treasure you through wisdom. You will be guarded by wisdom. Leads us to our second point here, verses 12 to 19. We have to ask ourselves, what is it that wisdom guards you from? Well, we see two things here that are mapped out here in these verses. Uh, First, you are guarded from the perverse man, verses 12 to 15. And then secondly, you're guarded and protected from the forbidden woman. First, wisdom protects you from the pervert. This is the man who delights in twisting the truth. He distorts reality with the things that he says. It says that he lingers in the darkness. We think of joy. Uh, you know, we think of, when I hear, first thing I hear when I hear the word joy, I think of joy to the world. The Lord has come. That's something that speaks of beauty and the majesty of God and justice and goodness and God's care for his people is something that you delight in. And yet here, the perverse man finds his joy in evil. Here's a man who delights in darkness. He is devious in all that he does. He may try to get you to join him in, uh, join him in his folly, or he may be the one who in his folly tries to get you. Either way, wisdom will protect you from him in ways that we'll see more fully as we work through Proverbs. But we need to recognize that this is not simply some guy who has strayed from the path. You know, you ever go on one of these kind of day, uh, daily hikes or walks uh, in, in the local woods, and somebody just kind of strays just a little bit off. They go, oops, you know, I, I, I zoned out for two or three minutes. Let me get back on my bed. That's not what we have going on here. Verse 15, when it says that he's devious in his ways, that word there for ways literally can be translated as wagon tracks. 
remember I went to the University of North Florida for, for both undergrad and, and, and graduate school, and it's a big nature preserve. Uh, thousands of acres just of, of land and, and trails, and even places you could tra- take your truck to go mudding, right? Um, the ultimate southern school, a place that has some place designed for you to actually take your truck and go mudding. This, it was great. So me and friends, that's what we were doing between classes. And you could see some of the tracks, the, the places that you could go by simply looking at the mud in the ground, especially after a, two or three days after the rain when, when the mud had finally hardened, and you see the ingrained tracks where two, three, four, five different sets of tire tracks go in a certain direction. You go, ah, perhaps I should go that way. Well, that's exactly the image that's being brought into play here. This is not simply a guy who has simply wandered off into the thicket. He keeps deviating so much that he is carving out his own path. It's an ingrained set of behavior that when you look at his tracks, it's like seeing a four by four with its tracks in the mud. Several tracks imprinted over and over and over again. It's a picture of a well-trod path. Here is a man who has been down this road many times times. God gives wisdom to protect you from him, but not just from that kind of man. Again, we'll see in a variety of ways throughout the rest of the book, but also wisdom is given to protect you from her, the harlot and the adulteress. Solomon's going to have a lot more to say about this as well in chapters 5, 6, and 7 as he devotes three whole chapters the importance in guarding yourself from this type of woman, the femme fatale, the siren who seduces you with her speech, the woman who is beautiful and promises rapturous delight and brings nothing but death. She promises joy ecstasy, but her path leads to the gates of hell itself. It's the woman at the end of the street, as we'll see later in Proverbs, and it speaks of it metaphorically, that as it takes you away and catches you and kills you. Here's a woman who, instead of remembering her covenant with her God, she has dismembered that covenant And she will dismember you. She has broken her oath with God. Why would she ever keep a promise to you? She has broken her covenant with her husband. And now the fool would be convinced, well, no, no harm will come to me. She'll keep her word with me. And yet it is a path that leads to death. It leads us to our final point, these two paths. See, wisdom does not simply guard you from the way which you should not go. Solomon is here telling us that it also points you in the direction that you must go. It brings us back to the image of the two paths that we find, even in Psalm chapter 1, the way of the righteous and the path of the wicked. You know, one of my favorite uh, things to do, uh, at least growing up, was to go bowling. And... uh, you know, I enjoy the, 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 the jukeboxes and the pretzels and the hot dogs. You know, it's uh, one of my favorite comedians calls it the lazy man sport. You know, are your palms sweating? Well, you still, you don't have to sit down. You can just kind of stand over the little air conditioner thing that, that blows your hands dry. It's the perfect sport for the guy who doesn't like playing sports. When you go bowling, you, I don't know if you're familiar with the bumper lanes. Those big blue balloons that you put in the gutters so you can actually score more than like a 36 
Well, wisdom looks an awful lot like those bumpers. Wisdom keeps your ball from going in the gutter so that you won't fall in. And what we have before us are two particular paths, the path of life and the path of death. Which way will it be? To use the language of Moses in his final sermon to Israel and Deuteronomy, choose life. Solomon here echoes the words of Moses in the language of the book of the covenant that to forsake the covenant of your God will lead to one thing, that you will be cut off from the land. It reminds us that this is not simply talking about common sense wisdom. This is wisdom that comes mediated through the covenant. A wisdom that comes from on high. Wisdom that you might find uh, uh, specks and shards of it in other philosophies and places, but one where uh, the full orb picture is put together in its proper place in relationship uh, to the God of Israel. Here we have that covenantal language. When Solomon talks about being able to stay in the land, he is not talking about simply retaining a small strip of real estate in the Middle East. But like Abraham, as the book of Hebrews tells us, when the saints of old spoke of this, they were looking for a heavenly destination. That on that final day when the judge of all the earth returns to establish justice, righteousness, and equity once and for all, those who have pursued wisdom, that wisdom that is found through the word of God will remain in the land, but those who have refused will be cut off from the earth. So the two choices that we have presented before us are be upright or be uprooted. That language of a stump being rooted out of the ground, torn from the land, That is what we have before us. It is a common image that we see, but perhaps our eyes should not gloss over it because, oh yeah, I've heard that before, but rather we must think, why does the Lord keep driving the same image home time and time and time again? Perhaps it's because our hearts are so hard. Our ears are so callous that we need to be reminded of this very instruction. You know, when our Savior calls us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Of course, there are times when we might need divine deliverance. And if God wills, he'll provide it. But I think we should remember that when we pray this petition of the Lord's Prayer, one of the more common ways in which the Lord delivers us is by the wisdom that he gives us and calls us to keep. Again, God uses what we call secondary means. Right? God uses seatbelts to save us in car crashes. God uses penicillin to deliver you from scarlet fever. Those are secondary means. These are good gifts that God has given and has appointed. But the more pointed focus here is on not protection from natural disasters, but rather on protection from the morally corrupt, from those who would deter you from the path of life. I think this is an important thing to remember. Your choice in friends matter. 
for your friends will influence the path in which your life goes more than you realize before it is too late. Will you befriend the backstabber just because he sits at the cool kid's table? The one who repeatedly breaks his word and distorts the truth, do you really think that he will not turn on you when the opportunity arises to his advantage? Will you betray your wife for another woman because she makes you feel alive again? Here are deceivers who promise easy money, easy sex, but they will turn on you as they have turned on others. It is an ingrained behavior. They are wagon tracks. As plain as seeing tire tracks in the mud after a rainy day. The Lord promises to keep you if you keep his word. It is the means through which the Lord guards you. Treasure it. Hide his word with affection in your heart. One commentator puts it like this. At the point of this chapter is that God's protection becomes effective through formed character. That as God forges and shapes your character, that character becomes much like a breastplate. It becomes like armor that protects you from the wicked one. That's why uh, Jude in his letter, Jude 21, will tell the church to keep yourselves in the love of God and then three verses later, he will say to him who is able to keep you. Psalm 121, as Pastor Trox, when he was here the other week, said the same thing, that the Lord neither slumbers nor sleeps, keeping guard over you, and then calls upon us to keep watch on him and his word. So the exhortation this evening is to pursue Christ and his kingdom, that through the wisdom that he gives through his word, as you treasure it, that wisdom will will be fashioned as, as a treasured armor. You think of Mithril in the Lord of the Rings. It's a great treasure, but it's also a great defensive armor. This is how God defends his own. He will deliver you from all evil and lead you safely to Zion's gates. And he does it by giving wisdom and says, if you turn to me for wisdom, James chapter 1, I will not reject you. The Lord gives wisdom freely, the one in whom there is no shadow of turning. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for the wisdom that is found in your word. We ask that you would teach us to treasure your word, that we might store it up in our hearts, that we might fear your name, that we might truly learn what real justice and righteousness and equity is. That through it you would keep us from the perverse man and the forbidden woman and that you would keep us on the straight and narrow as we make our way unto that heavenly Zion. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.